listening to The Embodiment Project, a podcast exploring the multiple dimensions of people of color and all of the ways we embody our gifts in the world. How do you embody your highest self? This week on The Embodiment Project. There were so many events and experiences in my life that I had never considered as grief experiences. And I started to really, really delve into that and remember all of the stories, too, that others had shared with me while I was a therapist. And I thought, wow, you know, so many of us in this community, in our communities, and I say communities because we're not a monolith. And so when I say BIPOC, you know, grief, Really, I, I'm not the, the, the voice of that because all of us have our own experiences and grief looks different for everyone. And even within the Latinx community, well, communities, um, we all have our own traditions and our cultures that influence that. Welcome back to The Embodiment Project. I'm your host, Danelia Arechiga. And I want to wish you all a happy new year. I'm so glad that you decided to stop in and listen to this episode. This is our ninth episode, our first episode of 2021. And the theme for this month is grief and loss. Given the fact that for the last 10 months, we have been undergoing this dramatic change in our lives um, called the coronavirus, a lot of us are experiencing grief and loss and depression around all the things that we lost in 2020 because of the virus, including people we may have lost, relationships that may have lost, traditions that we may have lost. And there's a lot of grief that comes up with those feelings. So. I thought it would be good to bring on a couple of folks this month who can really speak to what grief is and what it, what purpose it has served in their lives. I will be sharing a little bit more of my own personal story as I like to in each of these episodes. For those who have been following me for a bit, you may have heard me speak about my brother's death as well as the passing of my grandmother. Um, Both of these losses have impacted my life in very big ways. And I'm hoping to share more of that throughout this month and throughout this series on grief and loss. Before we get into our guest for today, I want to create some clarity around the question that I ask all of the guests on the embodiment project is how do you embody your highest self? And I've noticed that a lot of the guests are caught off guard by this question because it's not the type of question somebody asks you every day, right? It's a little complex. First, we have to think about what does that even mean? What does it mean to embody something? And what does it mean to embody your highest self? So allow me to start with what it means to embody. What it means to embody to me means that you are living out 
whatever it is that you're embodying. You are living out the things you talk about, the things you claim to be passionate about, the things that make you who you are. You are actually embodying, living, stepping into whatever it is that you're embodying. So when I ask you, how do you embody your highest self? Your highest self is the you you are when you're feeling your best. It's the you you are when you're not worried about who's watching. I truly believe that we are born into this world as our highest selves. But as we live our lives in this oppressive system, especially for BIPOC folk, our highest selves are slowly stripped away at as our parents, our caregivers, our teachers, the world tells us in so many ways that we don't matter, that our voices don't matter, that unless we do A, B, and C, usually things revolving around money, right? Unless we unless we have money or unless we have degrees or unless we have some type of status or power that we don't matter. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that we don't matter. I think we matter a whole lot as we have seen um, in the current political climate. 2020 was a big year for Black Lives Matter. And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the movement because we cannot let down our guard in 2021. But going back to embodying your highest self, when you're your highest self, you are not operating out of your wounded self. You are operating out of your best self, the self that is always looking for ways to improve, the self that is content with the person you are in the moment, even if improvement is needed. Your highest self is the self that knows deep down that you are needed in this world. It's the part of you that knows deep down that you have a purpose, even if you don't know what that is yet. You have a purpose on this earth. So I hope that as you're listening through these episodes, you're able to identify with some of these guests that are on and the, the answer to that question. Um, I'm hoping that you are able to answer that question for yourself after every episode. How do you embody your highest self? So with that, I will go ahead and introduce our next guest on the embodiment project today i have the very great privilege and pleasure of speaking with paulina isabel almarosa paulina is a bilingual licensed clinical social worker in the state of california she was born in morelos mexico and immigrated to the u.s at a young age paulina lived a significant period of her life in the u.s undocumented she holds a master's degree in social welfare from UCLA and has over 10 years of experience in the mental health field. 
Paulina is the founder of Latinx Grief, a space dedicated to grief awareness and education via storytelling, music, and art. Paulina is an avid writer, a mother, and creative. I am so excited for you to listen to this episode. I think this was the best way to open up this very heavy conversation because Paulina is so wonderful at incorporating the arts and storytelling through her grief work. So it it makes it so much easier to express grief and to really sit with grief, which is what we talked about a lot in this episode, is what does sitting with your grief actually look like and feel like and sound like? So I hope you enjoy it. I look forward to hearing your feedback in the review section of Apple Podcasts. Even if you're listening to this on another platform, please take five minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, let me know how you're experiencing this podcast. And if you have any questions or concerns or requests for topics that you'd like to hear more about, please feel free to email me at hi at vaneliaarechiga.com. I'll be sure to place that email address in the show notes located at vaneliaarechiga.com backslash podcast. And let us know what you think. Be sure to follow our guest, Paulina at Latinx Grief and make sure you're following me at the Multidimensional Mommy as well as the podcast Instagram at the Embodiment Project dot podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. Um I know that like the way that this came out, like I told you over voice message was like very organic. It was like something just pulled me in the direction of this topic because I know that there's a lot of grief in the air. Um, Particularly for me, like I've been dealing with just the holidays, like some like maybe seasonal depression, maybe just like COVID depression in general. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of like shadow work has been coming up for me and it's pulling me into this deep sense of grief. And I was talking to my mom about it and we were just really processing it together and it was really powerful. Um, And so I just kind of want to shed some more light on grief itself. And I know that that is your like primary goal, right? (laughs) Is to center BIPOC grief specifically. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me more about what that work looks like for you? Yes. So I, I am um, doing this work of grief and um, I started doing this, I mean, I've been grieving my entire life. So I think I, I've, I've just been doing grief around, I mean, work around grief forever. I don't remember ever not doing it. Um, and formally started to do it seven years ago um, as a hospice social worker. And so I had this connection to grief um, that I, that I carried into my work as a social worker and as a therapist in the community. And so after this pandemic, you know, hit, um, it really unearthed grief for me again. Like I thought, you know, I had, I had uh, caught myself and, and processed it in a way that, that I felt like, okay, yeah, I'm getting the flow with this. But then COVID happened and all of a sudden all this old grief started to surface for me. And I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is strange. I'm a therapist and here I am 
also not feeling okay and struggling with, with things that I thought were in the past. And so that really um, started to, to push me on this path to become very specialized in grief and what it meant to grieve because I, I started to realize that all of these wounds and things that I had thought were okay now and were suddenly resurfacing was grief. Um, and along with that, there were so many events and experiences in my life that I had never considered as grief experiences. And I started to really, really delve into that and remember all of the stories too that others had shared with me while I was a therapist. And I thought, wow, you know, so many of us in this community, in our communities, and I say communities because we're not a monolith. And so when I say BIPOC, you know, grief, really, I, I'm not the, the, the voice of that because all of us have our own experiences and grief looks different for everyone. And even within the Latinx community, well, communities, um, we all have our own traditions and our cultures that influence that. So I created this space really so that we can all come together and, and share in that, in, in, in that grief, but also bring to light some experiences that maybe don't often get the spotlight because our grief isn't always validated as BIPOC folks, right? So I talk a lot about undocumented grief or the, the grief that comes with being undocumented or a first-gen immigrant. Um, and all of those things that like, had never been really validated for me. And so this space really, again, is, is a space for all of the grief that has, the formal term is, been categorized as disenfranchised, meaning that it's not talked about. It's it's shameful sometimes, um, and um, and that is the work that I'm that I'm that I'm trying to do. And again, this is this is not a singular effort. It is an effort of many people that came before me, and all of the wisdom that I share is not exclusively mine. It has been passed down to me, and I have learned it from others. And I work with others who sometimes influence some of my work. And so I wanted to, to, to pay homage to that as well, my ancestors and the people that I've, that I've lost and that I know others have lost um, in this work. Um, and as I continue moving forward. Yeah. That is beautiful. a long answer, I think. <laughs> no, that's great. It's good to know kind of where you're coming from. Because um, that was my interest was like, how, how did you get into the work? You know, what, what was it for you in your life that that led you in this direction. And I love that you mentioned these different types of grief, right? That we don't often categorize as grief. And, and would you say that grief is like an emotion or a state of being? Like, what, what, how, would you, how would you define grief as we're trying to break it down? Yeah, uh, you know, grief is, is one of those complicated terms. Complicated because it's evolving and because there's different pools and different thoughts. Um, if, I mean, in, in the clinical, when I say clinical loosely, right, as a therapist, we don't really define grief as a feeling, quote, quote, it's more of a process and formally a, a response to a loss. So that loss can be a death loss or non-death loss. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really a feeling, although I've read some, some articles and some, some research that's saying that it's, it's actually being pulled into the direction of being categorized as a feeling. Interesting. Um, Right. But, but if we, if we just say, no, it's not a feeling, then it's, then it is an experience. It's a, it's a response. Mm -hmm. It's the way that we, that it also includes the way that we cope with the loss that we've encountered. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's really a, a universal 
experience, but that we all experience uniquely. And that is shaped by different factors, that is shaped by different experiences. And so, and so in that way, that's why I say it's, it's complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Because what I may define as a, a grief experience, somebody else might not. Um, and, right. um, but, but the simplest term, yeah, it's a response to a loss. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask that because when I was, as I was doing like research for this, um, this, this conversation, I was mm -hmm. listing out like the types of grief that I would consider, like I've grieved over. Um, and what I'm realizing is as I'm writing this out, I'm like, it's every time I've had a transition in my life. It's every time something changed. It's every time, um, even like birthdays, you know, even like the seasonal changes, you know, like I'm grieving the summer, I'm, I'm grieving the, the heat. Um, so when, when I started to think about it that way, and then also just being, in, being so inspired by the work that you're doing and you're sharing, just helping me see grief differently and really learning to embrace it because it's so prevalent in our lives. It's inevitable, right? If every time something changes, you have to say goodbye to the old thing, you possibly lose it, right? You lose the old, the old you, the old person that you're grieving, whatever it is, the old experience you were having, and you're moving into this new thing. And that can be really difficult. And so I think that in my case, I've been like grieving my whole life, like you said, mm -hmm. but I haven't known how to deal with it. I've been suppressing it in most cases. Do you mm -hmm. see that a lot with your the folks that you work with? Yeah. I, first of all, I want to say that it's so beautiful the way that you said changes, that, that anytime there's a change, there may be a period of grief um, that, that surfaces from that. And in, this, in that way too, um, you hit on something important, which is that when we lose something, it interrupts this feeling of continuous, you know, this feeling of, of, of everything always being the same. And so you have this loss and all of a sudden things change and it throws you off and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it, it interrupts this, this idea that things will not change. Not that you don't know, right? Consciously, we know things change, but when it happens, you're kind of like thrown off balance. So I love that you said that. And yeah. uh, yes, going back to your question is, do I find that people suppress grief? It depends. It depends on where that person, how that, um, that person's culture, that person's experience, that person's um, family unit, the community. There are some communities that um, allow for the expression of grief openly, or, you know, they have, they have um, just support systems for that. There's, you know, units and groups where uh, openly expressing your sorrow or that part of grief that is seen as quote weak, right? Sadness, anger is not encouraged. And so they may suppress that, but they may be allowed to express feelings of sadness. And in fact, if they don't, they're seen as what's wrong with you, like something unnatural. So I think in some cases, people suppress the entire expression of, of the, they suppress their grief, but in others, they, they suppress parts of that, right? And the expression of grief is sometimes we, we call it mourning and there's all these terms, but I don't want to get into that. So yes, yes, I do. I think, I, I think at different points also, we may suppress and not, not um, process certain parts of that grief experience. Uh, it can also be a way for us to cope with the loss as a way to, to protect ourselves from the, from the loss and from the pain that comes from, from, from all of that. Right. That makes sense. 
Like, what would you say to somebody who has recently experienced a loss or is grieving? That's something I struggle with often where somebody close to me has lost someone they love. And I want to, I want so badly to comfort them with my words, but I feel like words never truly add up to what we need them to in mm-hmm. those moments. Like there's no amount of words that can make you feel better when you're deep in grief as, as someone who has lost somebody close to me, you know, like mm-hmm. I know from personal experience that nothing anybody says can help, but I know that people often feel like they need to say something or they should say something. And I would, I would want to know like what, what are some good things we can say in those moments to comfort others? Yeah, you know, I think all of us right now are grieving, right? The, the whole pandemic has has everybody grieving something. And, um, and it can be really difficult to know what to say to someone. And truthfully, when I was starting off, I struggled to know what to say. But what I found and what the feedback that I received from people that I've worked with was sometimes just sitting with someone sitting in and bearing witness to that, acknowledging that the grief has happened um, and being honest too and authentic. So I will often say to people, you know, I, I don't have words right now because what you're going through is horrible and I am so sorry that it's happening. Um, and I am here for you to listen. I am here for you to um, share stories that you wanna share. Um, if and if it's somebody that I'm really close with or that I'm friends with or that if I'm in connection with, I will then often add, and I would like to offer to send you money for dinner if I can't be there, right, or drop off dinner or do something that I feel is helpful. Um, and, and in that way, too, then, you know, I show my support. So it really all depends. But presence, I think, is, is the most comforting thing that you can give to others. Yeah. And I think that's really hard right now, right? Because of the mm-hmm. pandemic, like all I want is to be able to give people hugs and and tell them, you know, I love them. And, and just like you said, just sit with them in that. Um, and sometimes I think that's what I want too, you know, like I want someone to just hold me and just say, it's okay. Like I'm here, you can cry. I, I'm gonna, you know, cry with you that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we do a pretty good job at that during these times, because we know we can't, you know, we can't right now, but we're, we're trying to get creative and um, creating spaces for that. And I think that that's what you've done with Latinx grief is that you've created a space for people to go when they're needing that, when they're needing someone to hold their hand and, and just say like, I'm like, what you're feeling is normal. What you're feeling is, is okay. Yes. Yes. So yes. And you've hit on a, something extremely important that, that COVID has, has made it difficult for us to feel physically connected because we're all virtual and, and online and that can be fatiguing too. Um, and so, and so it complicates that. And I also think that, and that just like you said, just even knowing someone is there for you, even if it's just virtually or knowing that, that they're there, if you wanted to have that contact, even if it's via phone call or, or zoom is somewhat comforting. And you're right. Sometimes what we want is somebody to just listen to us cry and scream and do what we need to do because words, they don't, they don't really do much sometimes when your brain and when your nervous system is activated, right? Mm -hmm. We can't process words when we're highly activated. And so what we do is that we offer comfort because then we allow people what we, we use our, our, our presence as a way to, to, to create calm and peace and, and, and um, welcome of, of everything mm-hmm. that that person has to share. 
and words often they don't they don't hit the mark <laughs> yeah exactly a couple of weeks ago I had posted on my stories on Instagram just kind of what I was going through with my mom we were decorating my brother's grave for Christmas which is like not something I particularly enjoy doing um I don't typically like to go to the cemetery to mourn him I don't typically feel called to be there or I, I don't really feel his spirit there um I do feel him with me often and I feel him the most at home um and I've told my mom that you know like I I don't I don't want to mourn him there I just don't it doesn't feel right to me but she, it's really important to her that that people go see him there you know so we were just talking about it and stuff. And like I said, I was sharing about it and a couple of folks reached out and were just like, you know, asking questions. And um, it really prompted me to start trying to understand more about why we don't talk about grief, about why death is such a difficult thing for us to embrace um, when it's something that affects every single one of us, you know, just like we we're all we're all born we're all going to die. And it really opened my eyes to how much I need to maybe start talking to my daughter about these things, you know, because when I do, I'll say things sometimes just to see what she says. Like, I'll be like, you know, one day when mommy's not here anymore, she's like, no. And I'm just like, I don't want her to, you know, I don't want to traumatize her, but I do want to open her up to the possibility that I may not be here forever, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because I think that if, in my case, when when my brother was taken very suddenly, I had always just thought like, oh, that would never happen to our family. You know, I feel I felt so bad for all the other people in my lives who had lost someone young and close to them. Um, but I'm thinking that'll never happen to my family. And then it did happen to my family. And we were not prepared for it, you know, and I don't think I don't think you can ever fully prepare for it. Right. Like you can't you can't. But aside from like the emotional impact, right? I'm talking about like actual death arrangements and things like that. You know what I mean? Like, because we don't, because we, we as a society don't typically talk about those types of things. We also aren't preparing for them on that end. I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask like, what, like, what do you, what do you make of that? Like, how do you think that we can, as a society, as, as communities of color, right? How can we improve that so that it's not so detrimental to our families when it inevitably happens? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is also one of those questions that, that really, it does depend. And again, this is because I'm a therapist, right? So I'm thinking um, everybody's so different that I, I remember working with people, families, um, who had children who had experienced loss to be death of a family member. And that was their struggle. How do we even begin to talk about this? We've never talked about death. And I would say, well, you know, tell me more. And they say, you know, death is something that, like you said, we don't see coming. It doesn't, it feels like it affects other people, but it's not, it doesn't affect us. And it's not like you said, until it affects you until you you're like, oh, crap, this is real grief. It, it, it loss. Inevitably, we all die. Inevitably, things change and, and change is the only constant. And um, but we live under this illusion that things will not change. 
And so we get into, and then that's very human and very normal that, that, that that's how we survive, right? Imagine if we were constantly in a state, well, some people are, right? Constant anxiety and state of like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. It happens. And what happens there, people like, it, it's, it's scary. So I think part of that is, is based on a, on a fear or uh, the unknowns of what's going to happen after I go, or is there an afterlife? They're very existential questions that are tied sometimes to these things. Yeah. And um, the conversations that, that need to happen around death also um, depend on what a person believes. Because if I were to say, well, we need to talk about death, I think death needs to be normalized. The word death, muerte, mm-hmm. needs to be normalized. But how we discuss it, I think we, we all need to to think about who our audience is, who we're, who we're talking to, and to be respectful of that person and that person's beliefs. Because uh, for me, I don't, I wouldn't want to start a conversation about death and invite myself without getting to know who I'm talking to. But, but I will say that for children, there are books that, that are so helpful that break down things that are complicated, depending on the age. Um, We can start to, to continue to practice those rituals that we have in our own individual cultures that honor death, like Dia de los Muertos, and having those conversations around that time and, and expressing what we believe about death and normalizing it in that way through rituals, through practices that we're already comfortable you know, talking about, bringing um, stories about people we've lost or things that we've lost and, and, and through storytelling because that's really how things and happen and how they have happened for our for our, our lineage and our community for centuries right that's who we come from as storytellers so i'm very big on storytelling there yeah. is and everything in life is a story so i think that that storytelling really sometimes brings things and makes things more digestible and and really it opens up conversations that may be difficult so I would say, like, for example, in your case, I know that you've shared some things about your brother and, and his life. And, um, and in that way, uh, you opened up these conversations about death, but in a way that it honors him and, and his life and the legacy that he left behind and that continues to carry. And that was powerful. And so you sharing that is normalizing death. And it's, it's saying, this is what it looks like when people die and this is, and they don't leave in, in the sense that we don't just forget about them. So you've already, I think you're doing it. <laughs> you're doing it. You're starting conversations about these very hard topics. That's, I think, part of it. Yeah. Storytelling is a way for us to connect with each other. It's a way for us to feel seen and feel heard and share like you said these stories and it's like in Coco when they talk about like every time you mention them you know like their their spirits are activated they hear you and I really believe that you know like and not because of Coco but because like in my heart (laughs) of hearts I know that when I talk about my brother he's listening you know he's listening and he's he's happy that we're still talking about him and that even though he's gone physically from this realm, you know, he's still very much loved and, and we, we care about him, you know, like, because we didn't really get a chance to, we didn't, we didn't think we'd have to (laughs) tell him that, you know, but 
in my case, like I still hold a lot of guilt around the things I didn't tell him, you know, I didn't tell him I loved him enough. I didn't hug him or kiss him enough while he was here, you know? So, um, I think through our storytelling, we're sending him spiritual hugs, you know, from here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm so glad that you touched on storytelling because I, I think one of the things that really attracts me to your work is your use of poetry and your use of music, because that words and music are the things that really speak to me, you know, and music has always um, really helped me through these all of these transitions my whole life, you know, listening to different artists, really sitting with my grief, sitting with my sadness and listening to songs that we're saying what I was feeling, you know, (laughs) I was listening to something sad the other day and Corey's like, why are you listening to this? It's so sad. And I was like, because I, I feel like this person knows what I've been through and it makes me feel good to know that I'm not alone when I hear that, you know? So, um, I'm really, I'm really into like your style, like these six word poems (laughs) that you're sharing right now are so touching like the music, the the visuals, like tell me more about that and what inspired that series that you're doing. Yeah, yeah I'm an I'm, I'm a old artistic soul, right? But then that was my dad, who my dad died of lung cancer in 2015. So he is in, in all of this. Music was his, his way of, of sharing things he couldn't share. So I carry that legacy now. And poetry, I carry that legacy now. And I am very proud of that. So California Grieving is the series that you're referring to, um, is a series that, that really captures this exchange of grief with the, the earth, with the environment that I'm in um, through music, through poetry. And um, I shared this on, a, on an IG Life with somebody recently, the death empath, um, about how when I was grieving and it was like, really new and raw for me sometimes the only thing that I could do and get myself to do was to go for a run and run run all through you know Orange County I'm not there anymore but I go for these long runs and I would exchange energy with my with my surroundings right I would grieve in my runs I would cry I'd take these long runs when it was raining and it almost felt like the rain and I were connected. And so it was this like very intimate exchange of grief that stayed with me. And while I was running, I'd often have music and it felt like, like I was alive and, and I had vitality and I was also very connected to myself. Um, and I never forgot that feeling and I still do it. I still run. I still um, engage in that. Medi- I, I call it meditation because for me it's meditation. And so I started to um, really remember that and connect with that again. And so my series is that it's a snapshot of what I feel that what I experience when I go out into the world and I carry my grief with me. I see everything through a grief colored lenses. There is nothing on earth, nothing in life that doesn't get coded for me in grief. To some people, it might just be a song. To me, it might activate a memory that I had of my dad drinking cafecito. To somebody, it might just be a sunset. To me, it might remind me of, you know, the last afternoon that we had together. So so it really um, connects me to all of these elements of my grief. And so I'm hoping 
that that people um to normalize that you know when you grieve everything is grief and may not be as strong and as heavy always and it sometimes might be beautiful and it sometimes might be joyous and it sometimes might not be that and it takes different textures and different colors and different beats and different rhythms and environments and and so um and that is the long answer right but there was a lot of intention behind that um, that has, there's a story also. So that is, that is the long answer. <laughs> so no, very long answer. It's mm-hmm. perfect. Um, yeah, actually this, this time, these last couple of weeks, I've been, you know, really sitting with my grief and like I said, talking to my mom a lot, who is like, you know, she has her own level of grief as someone who's lost a child, right? Um, And I'm actually going to be featuring her, I think, after this episode. So I'm excited for folks to hear her perspective because she's, her journey has been so different. You know, she's in such a different place right now than she was five years ago. And I'm really, really proud of her um, for, you know, all of the work she's put into just working through her grief, you know, because I feel like when you live with grief, you, like you said, you're kind of like seeing the world through this lens, right? And I feel like sometimes that can be really heavy to carry, you know, that can be really heavy to carry. It's hard to experience joy when you're so coated in grief, you know. Um, But I also see sometimes that when we connect over our grief, that sparks joy. It's like knowing that we're in it together, knowing that we feel different things. We feel differently about it, but we still are grieving in our own ways makes us feel, again, less alone. Mm -hmm. And then that's when joy occurs. Because then we know like, oh, I can talk to you about this. It's okay for me to say his name around you. It's not weird. People don't look at you like, why are you talking about him again? You know? So um, how do you feel like you experience joy through your work with grief, whether personally or with your, your clients as well? You hit on something. Yeah, yeah. It can be very hard to experience joy. Part of it, I think, what I've heard in my personal experience, I tend to feel guilty about, or I did, right? There's this guilt that comes from smiling and feeling joy because then you're like, am I, am I not honoring the fact that my, my father and my brother, my tío isn't here anymore? Does that, is that a betrayal to their memory? And so we all work through that in our, at our own pace and in our own time. And, and we all have that process of going through, through that, are we really betraying? Me personally, no. I, I've come to, to this point in my grief now where I really firmly believe that my father lives in me most when I'm joyous. So when I smile, and I wrote a post about this, how my I smile his smile. We have the same smile. We have the same laugh. People used to tell us, I serían igual. You know, and so when I laugh, when I smile, when I'm enthralled in my son's, you know, shenanigans, I feel like he's here. And so that's how I've connected with him. And in terms of my work, I find a lot of joy in creating and being and uh, creating poetry and listening to music, uh, connecting other people to each other. Uh, and just and just exploring that side that allows me to be present oriented and whatever feeling I'm feeling, but I feel the most joyous and the most open and the most alive when I really get to, to create 
poetry, when I get to listen to music, when I, uh, when I smile his smile. Uh, and that, that's really what's kept me here and what's kept me going. And also people that I've worked with. I have so many beautiful stories that I can't share, right? But all of these people that I've worked with who went through their own you know, experiences and who showed me what it meant to overcome things. They taught me a lot about what it meant to experience joy. Um, and I hold them here in my heart because I, I, um, I feel connected to them even now, knowing that we got to experience those moments together. And, uh, and so I really don't take for granted those bursts of joy that come, even if they're only momentarily, even if the sadness comes back. It's, it's, I've normalized and okayed myself to like experience joy. And it was a really hard process for me anyway, but everybody has their own, their own journey on path on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I noticed for myself, um, it wasn't until recently that I, I could even identify what joy was. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been so deep in my own grief, my own insecurities, like all the, the shadow work that I've been, you know, the shadow that I've been holding um, that I'm now working through, but I didn't, I couldn't even figure out what it was. Like, I, I was like, I don't even know if I experienced joy, you know, but it, I'm like you, I experience it when I'm creating, I, I'm experiencing when I'm being creative, when I'm writing music, when I'm, honestly, I experience it the most when I'm tapping into my inner child and I'm playing with my daughter. Like when we're playing together, I experience the most joy when I'm allowing myself to be childlike and have fun and run around and make funny voices and be silly and goofy. Like that's when my joy sparks, you know, and, and then it makes me happy because it makes me feel like the child that I was when my brother and I were closer, you know, like when he was my big brother and I was a little, I was the baby of the family and he would pick me up and carry me and give me kisses and hug me, you know? Um, so that's really cool to, to reframe it that way, you know, like now that I know where I can tap into joy, I can tap back into that relationship we had too during that time. That is so beautiful. I love how you said that, um, you connecting to those, those moments that remind you of your child, childlike, you know, to your inner child, all of that really helps you feel joy and running around with your daughter. I mean, things that that sometimes we take for granted. So sometimes what I what I um, will tell people or just invite people to do is to take pictures of those moments quickly, to record them, to write a little note to themselves, keeping a log of when they felt joy. Because sometimes we need those reminders when we don't feel so good that it's okay to feel sad right now and joy will return. It has in the past and it will continue to do that. Um, So I am so glad that you have allowed yourself to really soak in those moments and embody them and feel them. Your cells are recording that and they'll remember. It's beautiful. And I mean, they don't come that often, (laughs) but I'm, I'm actively trying to make more space for them, you know, and be able to identify them when they happen. And like you said, take a snapshot, you know, whether it's recording our, I, I used to do that a lot. I used to record our conversations so I could listen back to them and, and we could, you know, rehear what we were talking about. Um, But actually that leads me to another question I had for you, which was how do you 
like what for you, what are some healthy ways people can manage their grief or deal with their grief? Or I don't know how to say it. I want to say like, because <laughs> I don't want it to seem like it's something bad to be dealt with, right? Or it's something negative to be worked on. So how would, what are some healthy ways that we can live with our grief? Yeah, I like that. I like live with, live with, invite our grief, mm-hmm. sit with our grief. Uh, we don't really, yeah, we, we don't really want to say we're working on it, right? Because it's, it's going to be a, something that we might have to get comfortable with, integrate into our, into our being. Right. And the integration really depends on, on, on different factors, right? And, and by integration, I mean, um, making meaning of the loss in a way that feels good to you and your current story, wherever it is that you are, to where you get to a point maybe where it doesn't feel so heavy, right? And so while you work on getting there, right, what I've, what I have for me personally, running, moving, but sometimes even just um, also sitting with my feelings. And we say that a lot, right? What does it even mean to sit with your damn feelings? <laughs> it's become one of those things where everybody sit with your feelings. I'm like, ah, <laughs> what does I'm that always, mean? I'm always with my feelings. I'm always all up in my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> So I think we've touched on some way to sit with our feelings, music, writing, poetry, um, crying, Mm -hmm. talking to someone, tapping into your community because we don't grieve alone. But I recognize that sometimes we do need to need to have space. So um, really taking inventory of your boundaries and and making uh, lists or creating a manual for yourself on what your boundaries are with people when you don't feel like you want to be around them. How can you say that? So preparing for those moments when the grief is really activated. Yeah. Have a plan. Like you said earlier, um, sometimes we're just moving, moving, moving. We don't prepare. So there's this book by um, Megan Devine. She wrote, it's okay that you're not okay. And I, and she has an Instagram page. And she normalizes a lot of things in grief. But so I remember one of the things that she shared was that, you know, we're going through life, not preparing, not preparing, not preparing, bam, it hits. And all of a sudden, it's like, what do we do? That's not the time. The time to have, she says, conversations about death, to make plans for yourself about how to cope and how to, how to navigate that is before, now, when you're not having that. And so that really depends, right? So having conversations with folks about what you might need when you don't feel good or when you're not, you're, you know, when you're not up to having um, company, whatever, right? You need to have those conversations with folks then. Hey, when I'm feeling this, this, and this, this is what I'm going to need. And this is what I might ask. And, you know, kind of prep, priming them for those things. If you want to tap into your support system, um, music, creativity, art rituals right and really and having a ritual in place maybe for yourself that that connects you to that person that is gone or the thing that you've lost or whatever it may be yeah um i think that that to me is important staying um staying connected to the person that your loved one um that helps a lot too um so it so it's really a lot of different things and i think also therapy when things get really hard and sometimes our, our, our family members and our friends, they don't have the capacity to hold that for us. And that's where therapy really kicks in. That's where you're able to have someone support you with that 
and um, direct you on how how to manage that if it's if it feels overwhelming in the moment. Um, support groups are really good. <clears throat> and tapping into also alternative modes of healing. Not all of us are going to respond to healing, to therapy, I mean. So um, for a very long time, I did acupuncture. Acupuncture really helped me personally, right? I don't know if it's going to help everyone, but um, acupuncture and sound healing. So there's all of these beautiful types of modalities that can help us connect to grief that are also very helpful. Um, those are just some ideas, but yeah. we, could, we could go at length on that. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that has helped me a lot is voice journaling. Um, it's something that I started doing after my grandma died. No, before my grandma died. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, she was the reason that I started because she and I were doing some like ancestry work together. And I I wrote about this in my, I, I wrote a work, an e-workbook this year about this, about like the voice journaling process and the practice that I created to get me through a lot of these moments of grief, which I didn't even realize that's what it was, but yeah, like that's what it's been for me, you know? So, but anyway, we were, um, I was recording us talking and her telling me stories about, you know, her mom and her family and her growing up and all kinds of things. Um, and then when I went to replay it, I was like so inspired by hearing us talk, you know, and, and honestly, it was in that moment that I was like, I'm starting a podcast one day <laughs> because I want to do this. I want to record my conversations with people and document them. I, this is, this is storytelling, but this is a way for us to document our stories too, right? Because that's one thing that our ancestors, they, they all did, you know, verbal, sto- verbal documentation of our stories. We passed on verbally our stories, but Um, I want to, now that we have technology like this, I want to be able to document our stories, including your own, you know? So um, for me, that's what, that's what's helped a lot is voice journaling because it's given me a chance to sit with my grief, to be with myself. It's like going to therapy, but with yourself, you know? (laughs) And um, I work with folks doing that, you know, I, I'm, um, I have a membership program where I, I kind of guide folks through that practice because it can be really hard for us to listen to our own voices. You know, number one, it can be hard for us to talk to ourselves, to be with ourselves. Like you were saying, what does that even mean? Right. How do you sit with your, with your feelings? Um, But then to go back and listen to yourself is a whole other, whole other experience, you know? So it's been really helpful. Um, And again, it, it, it gives me a way to connect to my grandma because every time I do it, I remember why it started. It started because of her. She inspired this idea to record ourselves talking. She inspired me to document our stories. Um, And I feel like that's really powerful, you know, to, because we're also documenting their stories, our loved ones who've passed on. So thank you for for sharing all of those because I think they're all really helpful tools that hopefully someone out there can use, you know, when they're feeling deep in their grief. Really quick, I wanted to touch on the five stages of grief. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, like in your practice, in your experience, do you center the five stages of grief or what's your philosophy on these stages that we've often heard about. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we all hear. I brought the books so, to show you. So okay. this is what that's based on. 
Five oh, okay. Seconds of Grief are based on this book um, by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross called On Death and Dying that she wrote, I believe, in the 70s. And it was uh, stages that were really meant to guide people who were terminally ill. It wasn't even for people who were grieving. But through the years, they just uh, said, here you go, grievers. <laughs> this is the model that we're going to use. And I remember as a graduate student in my, um, my master's program, that was basically the extent of my grief education too, was five stages. And on my licensing exam, five stages. And, um, and it's interesting, it, it, there's some nuggets in there, I think, that are helpful. We can't dismiss it completely and say, well, it's complete trash, right? Um, but the critique in this is that not everybody goes through these stages. Not everybody goes through them in a linear way. Heck, culturally, some people might not even be okay with some of the things that are expressed in these stages. So there's a lot of criticism there. And now currently also in the grief world, we're moving away from this unilateral way of looking at grief where we move from point A to point B and really thinking about it more as an oscillation, as a way of kind of going in and out of loss orientation. And then it's called the I don't even know what the name is, but we're moving, right? We're not, we're not going linear anymore. And so um, the stages, right? They're, they're well known. This is what we all talk about. And they weren't even created for grievers. <laughs> so now they're kind of, we're phasing them out, at least in the people who are in the grieving community. And in my practice, I'm going to be honest, I had used them. Mm -hmm. And some people really resonate with them. Yeah. Okay. Some people say, yes. This all makes sense to me. Yes, I love it. Some people say that does not make sense to me at all. And I don't want it. And it's okay. And I normalize it. And that's where the education comes in. And so I, I, I'm trying continuously educating myself on what's coming up in the grief world, because it's constantly continuously changing. And we're, we're and we have different understanding of what it means to grieve. And there's, you know, different schools of thought. But um, I use this more as a, I do, I bring it up and, and I say what it is. And sometimes we process with people, what, do you identify with any of this? And I get feedback and, and then I also present other um, ideas. Um, but what I have found is that in the Latinx community, um, at least the one that I worked with in Santana, people didn't really gravitate towards this. It really felt like it minimized their experiences, particularly for people that have experienced multiple griefs and multiple traumas. And they're going through so much that they're like, I'm in acceptance here, but I'm in bargaining here. Ah, I'm too confusing. Uh, no, no, you know, no, no, this doesn't make sense to me. And so it didn't, I ended up usually not even using this. We would just really storytell and process that grief and we would just work through it. Yeah. Um, so it really depends, right? I'm not a fan, if I'm at all honest, I'm also not a fan of Freud and Jung and all of that philosophy, but I'm not a fan, um, but everybody has their perspectives. And I know you had shared that for you, you were a little unsure. So um, I hope that answers that question for you. Yeah, I just wanted to know because I feel like there is in, you know, in my case, there is very little I know about grief. And so the only thing I've, I have found was the state five stages, but they never really resonated with me because 
although I have experienced some of them, I didn't experience all of them. And like you said, I, I certainly didn't experience them in a linear way. Um, but that's kind of healing in general, right? Like anytime you heal from trauma, whether it's like a scrape on your knee, right? A trauma to the body, or you are healing from like a traumatic experience. It's like you, you heal a little bit and then something triggers it, you know, the scab breaks and it starts to bleed again or what have you. And so I think approaching it that way has really helped me. Like just knowing that this grief, there's no like right or wrong way to grieve. Mm -hmm. And that this grief is just something that I am going to live with indefinitely but accepting that is, is what opens the door to joy. You know, it's like knowing that I'm going to, going back to joy again, knowing that I'm going to live with this, but it's not always going to feel this way every day. Knowing that joy can still exist, even though I have, I carry grief too. It brings me hope. It makes me feel like I can continue to live my life. It's not going to debilitate me right now, but it might sometimes there's days when I don't want to get out of bed, you know? And that's okay too. That's that's sitting with our feelings, right? That's sitting sitting with our grief and saying, let me let me love you through this. Let me lay down, let me have some tea, let me take care of my body, let me take a bath, whatever that looks like for you. And let me love myself through this because it's hard. It's really really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that was uh that was incredible. Yes. I, I'm so glad that you're normalizing that, that yes, there is no, there's no end point to grief. Some days it might feel a little heavier. Sometimes, some days it might feel a little lighter. So we do need to normalize that. You can't get, you don't get rid of it. And, and sometimes you think, why would I, right? My grief is attached to somebody that I loved or something that I lost that was meaningful to me. And throughout time, it might feel like it's not as heavy, but it's st- it still might live with you. So I always use the gr- the analogy of the grief house that, that we are a home to our grief. And so it lives inside of us and, and we are its home. And so even if we want to kick it out, it's not going to go anywhere. So you might as well sit down with it, give it some hot cocoa, some tea, get to know it, listen to what it has to say. The, the very same way that you would your own child, right? You, you're not going to reject your child. I hope not anyway, right? And you're going to be violent towards your child. Um, You're going to sit with that child when it's not, when he, she, or they are not having uh, an easy time or when they're having big feelings, sit with them and you get through it together. And so you are at home to your grief and your grief really is there to remind you of the thing that you loved or the thing that changed you or the thing that stings or that hurts. And that is is for everyone to make meaning of or not. Sometimes there is no meaning to be made out of a horrible loss. That's the other thing I wanna say. Not all grief is gonna be transformational in a way that you create something beautiful. Sometimes a terrible loss is just a fucking terrible loss, you know, and there's nothing to be beautiful about it, but you can, sit with the feelings that come out of it in a way that that feels good and comforting to you. So um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for for all of this. I feel like I've definitely gotten to know you better and um, just know more, you know, about your your journey through grief too, because I, I can tell that 
it shines through in your work. You know, I can, I can tell that you've been on this path and you really get it. And that makes me feel really safe and really good knowing that someone like you is out there doing the work, you know, and holding space for people like me who are still processing and going through it. So thank you so much for sharing, you know, so vulnerably your own story. Um, I do have one more question for you. And this is a question that I ask everybody on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how do you embody your highest self? How do I embody my highest self? This is my highest self. I'm embodying it right now. I'm having conversations that are vulnerable. I'm opening myself up to um, other people uh, through conversations that are rooted in, in joy and loss and pain. And I embody grief in a way that I never thought that I would. Like I didn't wake up and say, I'm gonna be a grief worker today. <laughs> this isn't something that I chose. I mean, I did choose it, but I didn't. Like I, didn't, I wish I didn't have to go through all these horrible things that I've gone through in my life. Like I, I wish I, I, with all my heart that my dad was here and my brother was here, that I didn't grow up in poverty and all these awful things these traumas hadn't happened to me. So I feel like my work embodies me. I am my, my, I am grief and grief is me. And I, that is my highest self. My highest self is to be a vessel for grief. And so I'm doing it now. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I feel like I embody my highest self sometimes when I'm, when I'm sitting with my grief. And when I'm loving it and I'm lo loving myself through it, you know, mm -hmm. that, Absolutely. that's what it is for me today. Yeah. There's so many ways. There's so many ways that we, we do that, but it's important sometimes to stop and think about it, you know, like when am I accessing my highest self and, and who is that to you? You know, who is your highest self to you? Like it's, it's something that might vary from day to day too. <laughs> mm -hmm. I always yeah. like to, to end with that because it gives us a nice little, idea of how you're embodying your highest self and inspires others to think about how they're embodying theirs too. Yeah, it's a beautiful question. You were right. When you answer it on the spot, the, the truth comes out, right? Mm -hmm. Grief is powerful. Grief is something that is to me um, what I live for, ironically. <laughs> um, and, I, and I love having these conversations with people who are also on their journeys um, and their own processes through, through or processing their own grief. So thank you for sharing and for having me. Thank you. Do you have any upcoming offerings that you'd like to share with folks who are listening? I do. This will be actually my first offering that I will be launching in February. I haven't formally announced it. So you get the scoop. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. My first offering is going to be called grief, um, grief and movimiento. And it's going to be a, a workshop series for women of color, femmes of color, that's going to really center um, movement. So a movement and a community connectedness um, for us to expand, to release the sadness and expand ourselves to experience that vitality that we've been talking about and those moments of awe and that joy um, basically to sit with our feelings through movement and movement being, I'm, I didn't share this with all of you, but I've been a runner for over 20 years now. I did marathons, I competed. So running has really been centered 
Um, so it will have a running component, but for folks who are not able um, to do that, there's walking, dancing, really just moving um, and more details to come on that. But I'm very excited to launch that. Um, I will also more than likely be opening myself up to one-on-one -on -one therapy um, and coaching, but um, that, that will happen a little bit later in the year, maybe March, April, depending on how things go. Um, and then future, future, I will be launching um, a workshop series also that uses poetry, music, and um, has a foundation of therapy. So lots of things to come. I'm, I'm a Gemini, so I'm always all over the place. <laughs> I need to like center myself. So one thing at a time, but please, I, I encourage folks to really follow me on Latinx Grief on Instagram to stay connected and up to date with what's coming. Absolutely. I second that recommendation. And I'm so excited about your new offerings. I, those are all sound, they all sound like things I want to do. <laughs> um, so thank you for sharing that. And I'll definitely keep an eye out for that as well as um, anything else you're doing. I, I really love the work you're doing. I'm so grateful that we got to connect and that you got to share. Thank you so much for having me. I yeah. appreciate the space.